The following message by Shane Sowers is brought to you by Central Baptist Church, Aurora, Colorado. www.cbcaurora.com uh, So, uh, while I'll, I'm going to uh, read this article here really quick, and while I do, uh, turn with me in your Bibles to uh, Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, uh, we're going to be uh, somewhat zeroing in on uh, verses 1 and 2. As an atheist university professor, Dr. Holly Ardway, was convinced that by definition, faith is utterly irrational. What's interesting here is that she would eventually become a Christian, but prior to her conversion, she used the following analogy to explain why, as an atheist, she could not consider the option of believing in Jesus and going to heaven. So this is what she said. Imagine you are telling me, if you believe that there is an invisible pink unicorn in the sky, I'll give you a new BMW. I see the car in the parking lot. You jingle the keys in your hands. If I can believe what you want me to believe, the new car is mine. Cool, but it's a waste of time. I know there's no unicorn. No matter how much I want that car, I am incapable of believing something contrary to reason in order to get it. Believing something irrational on demand to get a prize, that is what the evangelical invitation to accept Jesus, as, accept Jesus and get eternal life in heaven sounded like to me. James Engel, he summarized the belief system and the presupposition that's commonly uh, prevailing among what he would call modern man today. He says this, if God, or God, if he exists at all, he's just an impersonal moral force. Man basically has the capacity within himself to improve morally and make the right choices. Happiness consists of unlimited material acquisition. Sound familiar? There really is no objective basis for right and wrong. The supernatural is just a figment of someone's imagination. If a person lives a good life, the eternal destiny is assured. And the Bible is nothing other than a book written by men. Essentially, the ideology, the belief system of modern man today. It is the reality of what we need to discuss today of what we call a worldview. How you look at the world. What the world does, what you see happening in the world, what you see happening every day, what you watch on the news, all of these things. How do you see that? How do you interpret it? How are you to understand that? Again, how do you see the world? A definition. Uh, it's a particular philosophy of life or a simple conception of the world. It's essentially the lenses you are looking through. Now, again, remember I give you this example. We all got a lens. We're all looking through. And, and a lot of times we think that these lenses don't affect how we look or how we see things. But the example that I give, if I had lenses and the lenses were bright, hot pink, and I look out into the world... Everything is going to look what color? Pink. 
The lenses by which we look at things will affect how we see things. A worldview is a lens. It's how we see things. And if you are a Christian today, the lens that you should be looking through is the lens of the scriptures. Period. The Bible. That should be your lens. That's how we're supposed to see things in this world. That's how we're supposed to see life. They call it a Christian worldview. The, mate, the Lord makes it very clear in Scripture how we are supposed to see the world. Did you know that? Like how we're supposed to look at the world today when we watch the news, when we watch movies, when we watch TV, read articles, read things, when we look out into the world, we look at other people, we see what's happening in our job, our job sites, wherever we go, whatever we look at, when it comes to politics, when it comes to materialism, when it comes to even shopping for socks at Walmart. Did you know that the Bible instructs us as to how we're supposed to see these things? It's amazing. And for many of us, we would all say, hey, Shane, man, you're preaching to the choir today. I have a biblical worldview. I have a Christian worldview. That's definitely what I have. My question today is this. Is it really? One of the clear characteristics of our culture today, and we've got to get this. This is so important. One of the clear characteristics of our culture today is this thing called self-deception. What is self-deception? Defined as the action or practice of allowing oneself to believe that a false or invalid feeling, idea, or situation is true. Something that's not true, we believe it's true. Self-deception. Self-deception. Something that I think that we don't spend enough time thinking about. It's something that we fight every day. For me personally, you know, when I wake up in the morning and I look at myself in the mirror, I have to fight self-deception. What we believe, do we really believe it? We believe that we have a biblical worldview, but for many of us today in modern evangelicalism, we just don't have it. Again, here's the question that I have posed, the question of the ages today, of our time. Can we tell the difference between what we really believe and what we want to believe? Do you really believe that? Or do you just want to believe it? Wonder if we have a hard time making this distinction. This is why it shouldn't surprise many of us that we are seeing professing evangelical Christians supporting and standing with the world on many things that are an absolute affront to our risen Lord. It's amazing how much I'm seeing. I, I, I don't know if you guys are seeing it, but I am seeing this. And it's just really like, in, in a lot of ways, I, I hate to say this, it's actually kind of shocking me a little bit. It's like you feel like there's going to be some of that, but I just couldn't believe how many professing evangelical Christians 
professing and, and who we would say as evangelical leaders, supporting and standing with the world on things that are absolutely condemned in Scripture. Remember, I, I told you the test. I gave the test. The test is, if you're watching the news, and I bring this up because I see, a lot, I see this happen a lot in my family. You know, just my un- I have uncles and cousins that are screaming at the TV. Now, I, I think that's normal, you know, if we were watching the Broncos, you know. People screaming at the TV when you're watching the Denver Broncos, I get that. But the thing is, is they're not watching sports, they're watching the news, and they're screaming and yelling at the TV. Now, rem- so I bring this up. So the test is this. You want to find out if you have a biblical worldview or not? Watch this. Here's the test. The test is, when you are upset watching the news, watching some show on TV or you hear something that you disagree with strongly and you're saying, that is so wrong. That, how wrong you are. I can't believe how wrong this is. What did I say the test is? Stop yourself and ask the question, what scripture are you basing that on? You believe it's wrong, do you know why it's wrong? And is there a scripture that you're basing that on? Because if you're not basing it on a scripture, you're basing it on something. And it's not the Bible. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. If you don't know it, how would we know? Because here's the thing, if you don't know the scriptures, then your standard is possibly coming from a secular worldview, maybe. But how would you know that our worldview is biblical, it's a biblical worldview, and it's really not a secular worldview? Because here's the thing, you could have a secular worldview that doesn't disagree with the Bible on this point. That doesn't mean you have a biblical worldview. Everything we believe, we think that something is right. We strongly believe this is right. We strongly believe this is wrong. Do we know why? And does it come from Scripture? Because if it doesn't come from Scripture, then it might not be a biblical worldview. Are you guys following me? Watch how important this is. Watch how important this is. How do we know, again, that our worldview is biblical, it's not, and then it's not a secular worldview. How do we know that it doesn't, dis- and, and, and that it's one that, does, that doesn't disagree with the Bible? How do we know that it's biblical, and how do we know that it's secular? You know how we know? It's called the scriptures. The Bible is how we know. And so here's the thing. If you don't know the Bible, how would you know that you didn't have a secular worldview? Whoa, do you get that? Do you hear that? I mean, it was pretty quiet. If we don't, see, people will be like, well, you know what? I believe this stuff, and, and I believe that, you know, that we can move along in this direction, and this is right as long as it doesn't contradict the Scriptures. But if you don't know the Scriptures, how do you know it doesn't contradict the Scriptures? Hmm. If we don't know it, how would we know 
Do you know that when we became Christians, our minds are supposed to have been renewed just as much as our hearts? Our thinking is supposed to change. It's supposed to be different. It must be different. It's not, we are not supposed to be in line with the pattern of this world. We were supposed to be transformed to be out of line with the pattern of this world. Not sure? Let's take a look. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I love the way the New Living Translation, second edition, important, the second edition, the New Living Translation. <laughs> uh, I have my, my reservations about the first edition. But I love the way they say this because it's just so perfectly said. It's just perfectly translated for our day and age. Watch this. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he would find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then will, you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. You are truly awesome and you are amazing. God, I pray that your word, your truths today will transform us more and more into the likeness of Christ. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you're taking notes today, the first thing we're going to look at is how we can't avoid the reality of the secular worldview that's getting into our homes, that's getting into our minds, if we are not competent with Scripture. And the second thing we're going to look at is we're going to see how it's by the power of God through faith in his word that will transform us and bring us from death to life. So the thesis statement today is this, and you know the thesis statement is me trying to summarize the entire sermon in one sentence. Though sin and the pattern of this world cause us to copy the behavior and customs of this world to the point of real spiritual danger, it is the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of Scripture that will lead us to fix our eyes upon Christ, the author and the perfecter of our faith. So point number one, the authority of Scripture. Essentially, I want to say it this way, to disbelieve the Word of God is to disbelieve God. We got to see this. This is so important in our culture today because in our culture today, we struggle with this thing called authority, right? It's like, it's like rebellion against authority is almost like one of the virtues in our culture today. Rebel against the man and you're seen as cool. You're seen as progressive. You're seen as this person who's hip that understands what's going on. Rebellion to authority is the big thing. It's a big deal what individuals will say even today. And it's celebrated. 
And I know a lot of the older people are like, you know, hey, you know, see, that's the problem with your culture, you're the young people today. They disobey authority. Yeah, where do you think we learned it from? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you think that the, those James Dean posters that we saw hanging up in the walls, you know, all that stuff? Yeah. Rebel without a cause? Yeah. Wayne Grudem defined the authority of Scripture as this. All the words in Scripture are God's words in such a way that to disbelieve or disobey any word of Scripture is to disbelieve or disobey God. Seriously. To disbelieve, disobey Scripture, you are disbelieving and disobeying God. Period. Now, I have been preaching and I have been warning about this very thing for years and years now. If you don't believe me, you can ask my wife. I have been on this kick for years. My thing is, I've always said is this. If we do not change our view of the scriptures and treat it as if it is the very word of God, if we don't do this, you know what we're going to do? We're going to end up not treating it as the word of God. Been saying it for years. If we don't change our view, we're going to start to look at Scripture and start behaving in such a way where we just absolutely do not believe that Scripture is the Word of God. This is not. We will end up not treating it as if it's the Word and we will disobey it. And to disobey the Word is to disobey God. And it is as if... I'm going to say it this way because I think it's just cool to say it this way. It is as if today in your hearing, my worst fears have come true. The unbelievable response that I got and I saw all over the internet, on news, on social media and everything, the unbelievable response of confessing evangelical Christians when the whole Roe versus Wade thing came out. I, 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 I was like sitting there reading some of this stuff and I was absolutely flabbergasted. I'm, I'm watching uh, thing, videos on YouTube I'm watching, you know, people on TV, and they're professing. Now, again, if it's unbelievers, atheists, and they're saying stuff like this in their response to Roe versus, I get it, right? We get it. Bad root, bad fruit, right? It's like I say, right? Dogs bark because that's what dogs do, right? Unbelievers react this way because that's what unbelievers do. That, I get it. But the thing that blew me away is it wasn't that. It was the professing, people who profess to be evangelical Christians, born-again Christians. They were absolutely, vehemently angry and upset with what happened. I couldn't believe it. Absolutely could not believe it. The Proverbs say, Proverbs 21.15, Proverbs 21.15, justice is a joy 
to the godly. It's a joy to the godly. Family, when justice is done, it should make us happy. But many of them were not rejoicing. Many of them were downright angry. Many of them were saying some of the meanest things. Uh, that I mean, wow, I just I couldn't believe it. Many professing Christians were mad at any Christian who rejoiced over this decision. It was like it was it was almost like I felt like it was there were threats that were made. You know, if you are that person and you rejoice, don't ever talk to me again. Don't ever, you know, unfriend me on this and unfriend me on that. If you rejoice and if you're happy about this, I was like, wow. Many of them were absolutely shameful in their responses. The atrocities were many, and it brought me much sadness. And I remember thinking, sitting there going, did my worst fears just come true? To the point. Now, now again, family, this is not a, shouldn't have been a surprise. Uh, it shouldn't be a surprise as to how Christians are going to respond. It's not new as to how Christians have always seen uh, abortion, how, how we've always saw it. It's not, it, was, it hasn't changed anything. It's just, I just couldn't believe that they were even shocked that this were happening. Because, and here's the thing, and I actually got to talk to some of these individuals. And this is the thing, when I said, you know, the Bible condemns these kinds of things, and they were absolutely shocked that the Lord condemned such things in the scriptures. Like I said, the Bible condemns this stuff, and they're just like, what? Are you serious? They were absolutely shocked. Some would say that I don't remember anything in the Bible saying anything about this. I, I can't believe that the Bible condemns such things. Now, again, before we get there, let me remind you, to disbelieve the word is to disbelieve God. Again, I said it before and I'll say it again. The Bible, yes, does not specifically condemn directly the practice of abortion. It doesn't say directly, thou shall not abort babies. But it is very clear that this thing is condemned by God. Right? I mean, it's what I said to the individual. I said, you know what? The Bible does not say thou shall not look at internet pornography either. But the message is pretty clear that that behavior is sinful. From the womb and even before, we were known by him and were actually being fashioned by him in the womb. This is, this is, the, thing that get, this is the thing that gets me. When people are just saying, well, the Bible doesn't condemn it. Really? Again, what Bible are you reading? Or shall I say, what Bible are you not reading? <laughs> Jeremiah 1.5. Jeremiah 1.5. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. God has a plan for every single one of us before we were even in the womb of God. Psalm 139, Psalm 139, the famous one, verses 13 to 16. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. 
You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. The Lord is telling us right here, one thing, I mean, he's saying a lot of things here, but one thing he is making emphatically clear. The Lord saw you as a person while you were in the womb. You were somebody. You were somebody that he was looking at. You were somebody that he had a plan for. You were somebody. Every moment, every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Come on. Exodus chapter 21, verses 22 to 25. Exodus 21, verses 22 to 25. Now suppose two men are fighting. And in the process, they accidentally strike a pregnant woman, so she gives birth prematurely. If no further injuries result, the man who struck the woman must pay the amount of compensation the woman's husband demands as the judges approve. But if there is further injury, the punishment must match the injury. A life for a life, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a hand for a hand, a foot for a foot, a burn for a burn, a wound for a wound, and a bruise for a bruise. Meaning what? If the baby dies, you die. If the baby dies, you die. And it was still in the womb of the mother. God saw the baby in the mother's womb as a person so much so that if you do something to actually cause that baby to die, you lose your life. You lose your life. An eye for an eye, life for life. So the person in the womb is just as much a person as a person outside of the womb. Isaiah 44, 24, thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, who formed you from the womb. I am the Lord who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself. Job chapter 31, verse 15, Job 31, 15, for God created both me and my servants. He created us both in the womb. I love that. I love that image that it's giving about knitting us in the womb. He, he's knitting us together. I had, my, my grandmother liked to knit a lot. And if there was one thing I know for a fact is that when she was knitting and she was actually trying to hit a deadline, you didn't bother her. You don't bother. I don't know how it is if that's for a lot of you, but I just kind of assumed at that point. You just don't bother a woman when she's, when she's knitting. You definitely don't bother a man if he's knitting. <laughs> just think, like just bothering my grandmother while she's knitting and how upset she is just, <laughs> just by doing that, Right? What do you think would happen to me if I just went up there and I just grabbed it, I just snatched it, walked away, and then I just started pulling the yarn apart? I would not be standing here today if I did that. God is knitting the baby in the womb. How do you think he feels when you just rip it out? 
The Bible makes it abundantly clear that the child in the mother's womb is indeed a person that God cares about and that God is fashioning and developing from the time of conception. And even before that, he saw you as a person. He saw you as his child. He saw you as his image. Even... And I've told, I've told some of my friends this. Even if you call it a fetus, fine, change it. Don't call it a baby, call it a fetus, fine. Even if you call it a fetus, it still does not change the fact that God is a huge part of the life in that womb. Fine, call it a fetus. It's still a person. And here's the real travesty. If the child in the womb of its mother is indeed an image bearer of the living God, then we are absolutely killing something that bears the image of the living God. Genesis 1.27, Genesis 1.27. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. You are killing a worshiper of the Lord. Watch this, Psalm 22, verse 10, Psalm 22:10. 10. On you I was cast from birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Wow. Worshiping the Lord, acknowledging the Lord, even from the time of, the, of being in the womb. Oh, Shane, like a baby in the womb would actually be able to acknowledge God? Absolutely, the baby can. Do you remember what John the Baptist did when Jesus came near? Come on now. They are a person. And here's the thing. Here's the question. Let's just make it really simple. Here's simple, just in case. Wow, Shane, that was deep theology, man. It's hard to comprehend everything that you just said. Here it is. They are indeed a person. And what is it called? when you unjustly take the life of a person. Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. You shall not murder. That's pretty clear. Pretty clear in Scripture. And it doesn't take a whole bunch of reading to figure that part out. It's not like these are some deep theological truths of, of, of the book of, and, and, and obscure and hidden in the book of Zephaniah. You know, I kind of get that. You know, like if you're unfamiliar with scriptures in Habakkuk and Zephaniah and, and Micah, Mika, some of you guys will say Mika. Um, I get it, right? They're the, 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 the minor prophets is what we call them, right? And sometimes, sometimes people are actually shocked that there's a book of the Bible called Zephaniah. We're not even talking about this stuff. We're talking about scriptures that come from Exodus, right? We all have gone through the Bible. We reach Exodus probably around March, right? You know, you guys do the read through the Bible. About March, you read through Exodus. We get it, right? Psalms. Wow. All throughout the Psalms. It's pretty clear. I just don't see how we get around this. Even when individuals say, well, Shane, the issue is not that. The issue is choice, right? That's the big deal, right? It's a woman's choice. You're taking a woman's choice away from her. And what did we say? That the, her body, the world will say, her body belongs to her. You shouldn't be able, nobody has the right to tell her what she can do with her body. Oh, contraire. 
when it comes to the scriptures, what does it say? That the wife's body doesn't just belong to her. It belongs to who? Her husband. <laughs> it doesn't take very long for us to see in scripture. All of these things are just absolutely condemned. So here it is. This is really what I'm wanting to get to. Because I, I know you. Central Baptist Church, you, we've been together for a while. You guys know how I feel about abortion. All of this type of stuff. You know, uh, you guys get it. This is the point I'm really wanting to make. I just don't see how we get around this. Can we just not accept the scriptures for what they are? The very word of God? Because to disbelieve the word is to disbelieve God. But man, Christians do. They get around this, man. They do all the time. Now, again, they think they get around it. They're not actually getting around it, but they think they get around this. And they do this, and they do it with some things. Now, I know there's probably more ways that people do this, but these are, these are kind of like the big four for me. The, the number one way I think Christians get around this stuff when it comes to things that are just point blank clear in Scripture, the first way I like to call the Jedi mind trick. Because this is common today. What do you mean, Shane? The Jedi mind trick, right? You guys know Jedi, the Jedi mind trick, right? He just says something, wave the hand, they repeat it, and they do whatever they tell you to do. It's kind of like that. I'll give an individual, having a conversation with an individual, and, and say, this is what the Bible says, and they just wave their hands and say, no, it doesn't. This is common. This happens a lot. This is absolutely extraordinary. Some of you may be sitting there thinking, yeah, this 4th of July weekend, my cousin did that very thing when we were talking about this. Give them a scripture, and they wave their hand and say, no, it's not. And therefore, it's so. Here's the thing, family. I just read an article in Time magazine where the author said that the number one thing that we got to get clear when it comes to abortion, the author said this in Time magazine. I can't remember her name. Um, but uh, anyway, she said that the number, point number one, the Bible does not condemn abortion at all. That's what she said. And I was like, okay. Let's, let's, let's read this, and let's read in this paragraph of, of this. And I'm reading this paragraph, and it, the whole time I'm reading this, it was basically just that. She gave no evidence, no real practice of hermeneutical principles. Now, this is another thing we got to know. Hermeneutics is not something that you just study in seminary. Hermeneutics is studied all throughout universities everywhere. Because hermeneutics is essentially just principles as to how we're supposed to interpret and understand the written word, essentially. It's not just a, a, a seminary thing. So there was no real practice of hermeneutics. I mean, even, even in, my, uh, in my philosophy, if I went to a certain root of philosophy, uh, hermeneutics was actually required. So even in philosophy, you, you're, you're required to, to take hermeneutics. There was no dealing with the text. There was no dealing with context of Scripture. Basically, she says that the Bible doesn't condemn abortion. And I say, the Bible condemns abortion. And she waves her hand and says, no, it doesn't, like a Jedi. That was a whole article. Just, the Bible doesn't condemn. Yes, it does. No, it doesn't. Yes, it does. Here's the scriptures, blah, 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 blah. No, it doesn't. Just wave our hand. Family, I get this all the time. But I want you to know this, Jedi, to disbelieve the word is to disbelieve God. The second thing I call it exegetical jujitsu. 
Man, people do this one a lot. It's called scripture twisting. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 16. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 16. Speaking of these things in all of his letters, some of his comments are hard to understand. This is Peter talking about Paul's writing. And those who are ignorant and unstable have twisted his letters to mean something quite different, just as they do with other parts of Scripture. And this, this is the part that I think people miss all the time when it comes to Scripture twisting. And this will result in their destruction. Do you get that? Scripture twisting. This is serious. It's going to end in destruction. This will result in their destruction. So if we're out there and we want to play twister with the scriptures and make it say what you want it to say, the judgment is absolutely severe. You will be judged. This is no small thing. This is what many modern teachers do today to get the word of God to say what the culture wants them, wants or what they want to hear, and to align ourselves with the ways of the world. Because the method of many churches in America today is that if we want to reach the world, we gotta be like the world. And they'll twist scriptures like crazy to make this point. Oh, they'll do it. Man, you know, you know the thing that, that gets me, and this is something that's, that's uh, really uh, a big deal in the SBC right now, is we're still to this day struggling with the whole thing about women pastors. And man, I tell you what, you want to see some extreme black belt scripture exegetical jujitsu? <laughs> Read some of the explanations as to why they should be. And the scriptures that condemn it and say, no, they shouldn't. And all the twisting and all the stuff that happens, it's just mind-boggling what you see. The scripture twisting that's happening with women's choice, women's rights, all of these types of things where the Bible doesn't say anything about disagreeing with women's rights. Man, if there's anything that the Bible does, the Bible does a better job, I think, than any culture, any religion, any ideology, any philosophy of, of just showing how just absolutely precious and how amazing and how indispensable women are. It's the Bible that does it, and we accuse it of being misogynistic. It's against women? Really? It's like, it's like an individual was telling me that just the other day, like how misogynistic the Bible is. And it's not even just a abortion stuff and not letting women have rights and all this stuff. You know, it's just, it's just they, the Bible is so against women. And you know what the biggest thing is? Is that the Bible, the Bible continues to call and refer to women as sons. Have you heard this before? The Bible refers to women as sons. Or, or, or were to men and women as he. It, it's, all, it's all this. And so, you know, God has a plan for sons of God. And he includes women in calling them sons of God. And I keep saying that this is not a, it's this, the, the idea of the, tri, the title and the term son of God has really a little to do with gender, but really not a lot. It's more position in the family. So being called the son of God is one of the best things that you could have been called at that point. And they're just going, oh, oh, yeah, well, see, the Bible's against women. 
because they call women sons. And my response is this. Well, then the Bible is against men. Do you think I like being called the bride of Christ? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like I can't get that picture out of my mind when they say the bride of Christ and the marriage supper of the Lamb. Am I wearing a dress? I, I, give me a break. Come on. Oh, but Shane, that's the Old Testament, man. Oh, I can't believe we're still having this argument. It's in the Old Testament. Where in the world did we get that from? Do you realize you can read the New Testament, and do you realize that the New Testament does not gloss over the Old Testament at all? Where, where do we get this stuff from? Who told you? I sit to an individual and talking about, all oh, that's in the Old Testament. Can you show me one place in the New Testament where it says, oh, that's in the Old Testament? <laughs> I, the reality is this, family. All Scripture is God-breathed, useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness so that the man of God will be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Was the New Testament written at that time? Some of it was, but did we have the New Testament collection at the time? No. So when Paul was writing that to Timothy, which scriptures do you think he had in mind? Yeah, you got that? I don't know where we get this stuff from. So just please, I mean, if, if people are going to say, oh, that's the Old Testament, Shane, okay, that's fine. No member from Central Baptist Church, please do not ever say that. Just get it out. To disbelieve the word is to disbelieve God. And here we go. The third super self-explanatory thing that they do, the third thing that they do, it's called, I don't care. Well, this is a big one in society today. I don't care. And, 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 and family, I get, I get this. And, and, and you know what is really like emphatic? I want to show you this because this is pretty, pretty clear here. I can say that pretty much every time I'm, I have done pastoral counseling, uh, uh, household counseling, pastoral counseling, uh, uh, addictions counseling, marriage, especially marriage counseling, <laughs> marriage counseling, if there was a time, and, and, and this would happen a lot, there were times where I needed that person that I was talking to to do what I'm telling them to do. And I finally just had to say this. You know what? I really need you to do this. You have to do this. Please do this. And the answer and the response to me was no. And then I give them the all-important, the all-important, Obey your spiritual leader's scripture in Hebrews 13 about how you're supposed to obey your spiritual leaders. I bring that up. How many of them do you think actually said, oh, Shane, well, well then, well, that's different. I mean, that's the word of God. So, okay, pastor, I'll listen. How many times do you think that actually happened? Never. Never. Seriously, telling them to do something wasn't even that hard. They say no. 
bring up the Bible, the scripture that actually tells them and commands them to do this. They still say no. Essentially, they go on, and I keep pressing the issue, and they finally say it. I don't care what you say. I don't care what the Bible says. I'm not going to do it. I've had many conversations with people, uh, people that I'm friends with, people that, you know, I, I visited with, <laughs> some of the people that I got to talk to in Hawaii and all that stuff. And some of them actually go to some very, very clear, clear, unbiblical and just horribly uh, off-base churches. It's just, it's just it's not, it's, it's obvious. It's just obvious, but they still go. And, here, and here's the thing. The thing is, is I, I'll have conversation, I'll talk with them about this. And then I'll sit down with them. I'll use your, their Bible. You know, because sometimes they accuse me of that, right? Like, well, that just says that in your Bible. It doesn't say it in mine. Okay. All right. Mine says NIV. Yours says NIV. I get it. I get it. Okay. So I use their Bible and show them in Scripture about what their pastor is doing and what their church is doing is completely unbiblical, and you need to run, run as fast as you can. You can't catch me. I'm the gingerbread man. This is what you're supposed to do. Run. Get away from that. Well, I, I see that you, you, you say that in Scripture. You're showing me the Scripture and all that stuff, but, you know, I don't, I don't see anything wrong with, with, with the church. And, and until I see it, you know, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm just going to stay. And I show them from the scripture. I also said, here's the other thing too. I'll, not only do I prove with biblical and historical theological foundations, I also let them know that I have a master's degree in essentially biblical exegesis. This is my job to do this. This is what I'm trained for. This is what Central Baptist Church, this is what you guys tested me on. And here's the thing, and, and with the SBC, even when I was getting ordained, I, always, I tell you guys the story. Some of you guys have told the story about the Sanhedrin that I had to stand before when I was getting my ordination papers, you know, all that stuff. Wow. Anyway, um, so I'm, I'm talking to them and just saying this, that this, and, this and, and essentially what you're doing is you're staying in a place where I'm showing you emphatically that you should get out. And I'm not saying this as just an innocent bystander, just somebody walking by. I, I'm a person that studies this stuff. I've studied the history of this kind of thing. Don't you think that I would be an individual that would be able to tell you that this is the case? This is the thing that I, I think is funny. You're standing. Let's just say you're standing here, and you're standing in poison. Okay? You're standing in poison, and it's starting to get into your shoes. It's starting to creep in there. And if you stand here, you're essentially going to melt. I'm a, I have been studying poison for a long time. I have a degree in chemistry, and I understand all the stuff that make up of what's poisonous. I'm standing there showing you in poison reference books, showing you the, 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 the principles of the five danger signs of poison. I am, I am one of the board members of the Poison Control Center in my state. And I am telling you and showing you that what you're doing is you're standing in poison. This is what I'm talking about, how illogical this is. You're standing in poison. An expert is telling you that you're standing in poison. And you know what you say to that individual? You know what? I'm going to do my own research. 
I'm going to check online. I'm going to check the internet. I'm going to do all of that kind of stuff. And when I find out that this is true and this really is poison that I'm standing in, then I'll step out. See, this is illogical. This is absolutely amazing to me. And so what I will say to the individual is, I'm just tell, I'm telling you this. This is where you're going, and this is what's happening. Why is it that you wouldn't go like this? Wow, an expert, and he's showing me all the documentation. He's showing me all the principles. He's showing me all the stuff of the person who really knows, telling me that I'm standing in poison. This is maybe what we would probably do, right? And I'm going to do my own research and find out if that really is poison. So right now I'm going to step out of it, do my own research, and then when I find out that he doesn't know what he's talking about, all that stuff was just made up stuff and all this stuff. Okay, see, it's just a mess. It was a lie, all this stuff, and then go back into it. I love this poison. That's the funny thing, isn't it? When it comes to this, we're not talking about poison. We're talking about burning in hell for eternity. So let's stay in it. Stay on the wide path to destruction. I'm telling you, you're on the path to destruction. Oh, that's okay. I'm going to wait till I find out that I'm really on the path to destruction. And then when I find out that I am, then I'll get off the path. Get off the path. But the problem is we don't. Because in the, in the end, the bottom line is this. We don't care. We're going to do what we want to do, and nobody tells me what to do. That's our culture today. Amen. And after I got done talking to my friend about this stuff, I'm walking away, just like, wow, this is absolutely unbelievable how, this, how pervasive this is. I don't care what you say anymore. This is my life. Go ahead with your own life. Leave me alone. <laughs> For real? And here's the last one. Here's the last one. This is the one that I harp on all the time. It's just called ignorance. Right? Jedi mind trick? No, it's not. I give you credit. At least you're waving your hand. No, it's not, right? The second thing is grappling, some exegetical jujitsu, twist the scripture, armbar the Apostle Paul, you know. Do, do your thing. <laughs> and then, I don't care, whatever. And the last one is just, I don't know. I, I didn't know. I didn't know. Like I said, many are surprised when I actually give them the scriptures and show them. A lot of people were actually surprised when I showed them Psalms, when I showed them Exodus, when I showed them all these passages of scriptures that talk about being formed, Isaiah being formed in the womb. I didn't know that was actually even in the Bible. Some of us just, just don't know. But here's the thing. If you read your Bible regularly and go to church and hear the Bible preached, then you should have heard some of these passages of scriptures before. Aha. 
Here it is. This right here, right here. This is the price of admission today, man. This is it. If you didn't hear anything that I said, hear this. How in the world can you have a biblical worldview if you don't know the Bible? Did you hear that? How in the world are you going to stand there and say, I have a biblical worldview when you don't know the Bible? How can you? How can we say that? We can't have a biblical Christian worldview if we do not know the Bible. And if you don't know the Bible, then you will not see the world in all it, and all it does the way that we should. A biblical worldview, to look and see the world, this is how we're seeing everything. How are we supposed to see that in accordance to the way God desires us to see it if we don't know the Bible? And one of the things that we see in our culture today, and, and theologians have said it even in the 20th century, that one of the things that plagues modern Christianity today is just absolutely how biblically illiterate we are. Just don't know. You know, uh, there, was a, there was that one, oh my gosh, there was that one guy who went and, and, and did a, a, he went and did an interview at a, a big conference that they had. I think it was like in Indiana or something like that. Huge conference. There was, there was just hundreds of people, thousands of people that went to this country, all evangelicals, an evangelical conference. And they just basically talked about something simple that we learn in Sunday school about, get, you know, tell us the story. Uh, can you give a brief synopsis of the story of the man who was swallowed by the whale? I mean, technically it's a big fish, but they said whale just so that you could understand. And they were absolutely like just boggled their mind. Like it was something, it was something pretty crazy. Like 70% of the people obviously gave the story of, you know, of um, uh, Jonah, right? And getting, you know, swallowed and stuff. But the other, the other uh, third, they were just like talking about the 30% that actually said Pinocchio. Now, again, people will see that as a victory, Look, 70% of evangelical Christians believe that it was Jonah. My thing is this, that is absolutely not a victory. 30% said Pinocchio, and they were being serious. Biblically illiterate. Biblically illiterate. Couldn't tell. Couldn't tell. Simple questions. Things that you even see in the TV, things, things, things that you see in the movies. How biblically illiterate we are. Just the question, who was the guy that went into the courtroom in Egypt and looked at Pharaoh and said, let my people go? We can't even answer questions like that. It's how biblically illiterate we are. Right? Because here at Central, we're not that, right? We know who marched into the courtroom and told Pharaoh to, leave my, to let my people go. We all know it was Noah. You know, so the, <laughs> absolutely amazing just how biblically illiterate we are. Okay, fine. Shane, you made your point. 
How can we have a biblical worldview if we don't know the Bible? Shane, just because I don't have a biblical worldview, it does not mean that I have a secular worldview. And this is what's told to me all the time. This is the problem. We are not no one from nowhere. We are all someone from somewhere. This is why the scriptures say in Matthew chapter 12, verse 30, anyone who isn't with me opposes me. If you are not with me, you are against me. And anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. What is he saying here? There is no such thing as innocent bystanders. You are not standing there saying, well, I'm not one of those individuals. I just sat here. I just minded my own business. I'm just standing here minding my own business. I'm a neutral party. I'm neutral. I'm a neutral. I'm not for. I'm not against. I'm neutral. What Jesus is saying, there's no such thing as neutral. You are either for me or you are against me. You have a biblical worldview or you have a secular one. Your worldview comes from the world if your worldview does not come from the scriptures. This is why I keep saying that all this stuff is serious. It is very, very serious. This is no small thing. Some might be going, oh man, here Shane goes again. Shane's going on his ranting. He's going on his thing about false teachers and false ideologies today, and he's talking about worldviews. Why does he do that? Why doesn't he just leave it alone? Because you know what? In the end, this is no big deal. This absolutely is one of the biggest deals, and I'm hoping that we actually see it. There is a reason why every single Sunday I bring up sin and the pattern of this world. Man, the pattern of this world is a powerful force and it is getting a hold of us and it is destroying us. This is a huge deal. Family Christianity, and I've been, hit, I've been trying to say this and I'm hoping that everybody is getting this. Christianity is not a game. If you lose, you don't get to watch tape and find out how you can improve. If you lose, you don't go, get to go back to the drawing board. If you lose, you don't get unlimited life, and all you got to do is press a button to regenerate again and start from the last point that you saved on the video game. If you lose, you will face the wrath of the living God in hell for all eternity. It's not a game. This is why I'm trying to say that all these people out there selling books and all oh, this, the popular book, it's the new popular thing and all this thing that's happening and all this kind of stuff. And it's just, oh, well, you know, some of that stuff may not be correct. Some of that stuff may not be all right. But Shane, come on, just give it a break. It's no big deal. No, it absolutely is a big deal. People are going to go to hell because of it. And even if they don't, why do you want to take the chance of even messing with it? Oh, I believed a little bit of this stuff, and I still got into heaven. Yeah, you got into heaven, but you smell like smoke. You just got in, didn't you? You just made it. I'm thinking that Christianity, think that this is a game. 
A lot of people think this is just, that's no big deal. Oh, it's just a popularity contest. Oh, Christianity is just a social club. Oh, pastors up there just saying, hey, I just got to do and say whatever I need to say in order for my church to get big. So that we can have a lot of tithes and offerings. We can have nice things. I can have nice things. You know, I can walk around and preach on stage with alligator skin shoes. You know, all this kind of stuff, thinking that this is a game. The Bible is making one thing very clear. This is not a game. How serious is this? Let me tell you about how serious is it. This is not knowing the scriptures and being biblically illiterate. It's not a small thing. The less of the Bible we know, the less of a biblical worldview you have. The less of a world, biblical worldview you have, the less you're going to be able to tell the difference between right and wrong. This is how serious this is. Watch this. Not knowing the scriptures is no small thing. Not having a biblical worldview is no small thing. Not being able to tell the difference between right and wrong is no small thing. The scriptures call it a woe. Isaiah chapter 5 verse 20. Isaiah 5 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to you. What is a woe? What sorrow awaits you, man. Oh my gosh, you have no idea what sorrow awaits for you if you call good evil and evil good. Do you know, family, how serious this is? I'll show you how serious this is. Do you know that this is the context as to how we understand this thing called the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Oh yeah, there's one of the things that, that's popular today or one of the things I know today is Christians are more afraid of, the bla of blaspheming the Holy Spirit than anything. That's like a fear that everyone has, blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Do you know that this is the context? The reason you would blaspheme the Holy Spirit is because you're calling good evil and evil good. So again, not having a biblical worldview, it's not directly blaspheming the Holy Spirit, but it's in the same category, man. And you keep going down that road. Keep going down this road, calling good evil, evil good. It's only a matter of time before you start telling people that what the Holy Spirit does is evil. Family, that should scare us to death. So you see, this is no small thing. This is a big deal. How big? taking on the values of the world, holding to the world standards, aligning ourselves to their cause, being a friend of the world. How big a deal is it? James chapter 4, verse 4. James chapter 4, verse 4. You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you a what? An enemy of God. I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. We go to church on Sunday singing, I am a friend of God. And when in reality, you're walking out of the parking lot as a living enemy of the living Christ. And we can see throughout all the scriptures of what God does to his enemies. So we can see, family, that having a secular worldview, which you have if you don't have a biblical one, it's no small thing. It is no small thing. Family, this is 
serious. As much as you like to think it, some people like to think it, something about, man, Shane, you know, I want to go to church and I want to be happy. I want you to make me feel good. You know, I want you to tell me that everything is going to be okay. My job is to tell you the truth. Truth. But Shane, man, a lot of stuff that you're saying, man, it means that a lot of things that I've believed or a lot of things that I've heard and a lot of stuff, all these things that I've been leaving my whole life, it's all been a lie? Yeah. Well, that, <laughs> that's just dandy. I, I just, I, I can't believe that. Man, we need to be thankful that we get to hear the truth. Thankful that we're hearing it before the end. It's been given to every man once to die, and then a party, and then what? Judgment. You die, we go right to judgment. It's grace. And we're going to stand before God one day. We're going to stand before the living God. What a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Did you get that? Just FYI, just in case you forgot. When we die, we are going to stand before God one day. It's harsh, I know. It's hard. It's the truth. It's just from Scripture. Truth. Now, I, I'm going to say this. I, I know that it's time right now, but I just got to say this because I think this is just really important. Something that I keep, I, I tell my children, I was telling my son the other day. You know, people will say things about, you know, preaching. And, you know, and, they'll, 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 and I'll, I'll refer to the Isaiah Scripture. I believe it's Isaiah 40. I may be wrong. You guys know how I am with addresses. I'm really bad with addresses. Um, but the scripture about how God's word will not return to him void, that God's word will accomplish its purpose. And I actually have people, believe it or not, I've had people actually challenge me with that and say, well, Shane, you know what? You preached a sermon. You preached God's word. And in the end, you were, you were calling for people to repent, and nobody repented. Nobody became a Christian. You know what? That God's word wasn't accomplished. Nobody got saved. Nobody was changed. Nobody even listened. People weren't even listening. They're falling asleep during your message. And you're telling me God's word will accomplish its purpose, that it won't return to him void. I'm like, this is the, this is the worldview lens that we have, the world, the secular worldview lens that we have. Do you know, family, every single Sunday when I'm up here preaching, that there are two things Two things, not one thing, two things. My goal is to preach sermons in order for, to, to glorify Christ so that Christ is exalted and for his people to come to repentance so that we will repent and we'll ask for God's glory, right? That's, that's my intent, that's my goal. Now that's a purpose. If you repent, if you come to God, if you glorify Christ, if you walk out of here saying, man, Jesus is the best thing in the world, then that's one purpose that it accomplished. It will draw men to repentance and to glorify 
in Christ. That's one thing that happens when I'm preaching. Do you know what the other thing, the other thing that happens? It increases condemnation. Yeah, get this. It increases condemnation. Why? Because when you're facing God and you're faced in judgment and God is saying, this is what you did. And when you say, well, I didn't know that. What do you think he's going to say? Shane was down there preaching the gospel every single Sunday. And you didn't listen. You didn't care. You just walked away and decided to say, I don't care. Jedi mind trick. No, no, it's not. It increases condemnation. And is God the kind of God that increases condemnation? Oh, absolutely. Oh, God could have judged the Ammonites for what they did to the Israelites in the wilderness. But he waited 400 years before he did that. And why, why did he do that? He said why. So that he could, they could pile on their condemnation. So their condemnation is worse. Preaching does that. Two things. It draws you to repentance. Or number two, it increases condemnation. So I remember one lady was just kind of talking to me one day. And she was like, well, you know what? I'm just, I, I don't agree with anything that you're saying, but I still go to church. And you know what? I'm just letting you know that it's better for me that I at least attend church than it is for me not to attend church. And I shook my head and I said, actually not. Because it's going to be worse for you if you hear the truth and you reject it than it would be for you to not have heard the truth at all. Wow. This is serious, family. This is a serious, serious thing. So again, some people may say, well, Shane, that's just such a huge, that's just such a bleak picture, man. Is there any hope for us today? Yeah, absolutely, there's hope for us today. Because the Lord has done a big thing for us. The Lord has made a way. We can be forgiven of our failures. We can be forgiven of our self-deception. We can also be forgiven with our friendship with the world. We can be forgiven for the love that we have for the world Many of us today, we've got much to repent of. Many of us truly have fallen short of the glory of God. Many of us have indeed offended the Lord in so many different ways. And it does not take much. If we break the smallest of the commandments of God, we are as guilty as someone who has broken all of them. For many of us, even today, watch this. Psalm 19, verses 12 to 13. Psalm 19, verses 12 to 13. How can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Cleanse me from these hidden faults. He's asking for the Lord to forgive him of the sins that he's committed that he doesn't even know he committed. Keep your servant from deliberate, deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Then I'll be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. Absolutely. 
through God and God alone, man. Many of us are sinning before the Lord and we don't even know we're doing it. Many of us are friends with the world and know it not. Many of us love the world and know it not. Many of us have a secular worldview and know it not. Many of us know it not that we know it not. But there's forgiveness for us today, family. There is hope for us. And today I get to tell you the good news. There is hope for us today because Jesus came into this world to seek and to save that which was lost. He lived the life that we should have lived. He died the death that we should have died. Family, Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. And he was buried and he was raised on the third day all according to the scriptures. The saying is trustworthy, deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, he personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. 1 John 4.10, this is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Family, Mark chapter 1, verse 15, the time promised by God has come at last. The time is now. Family, he announced, the kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. Salvation is here, family. Forgiveness is here. We can be forgiven. And family, the promises continue. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So this is the thing. Yeah, Shane, you were kind of hard on us this morning. Yeah, I know. I gave you some pretty bad news, but I just gave you the best news that anyone is ever going to hear. All of those things pale in comparison to what Christ has done. It doesn't matter how filthy that rag is. It will shine as white as snow when it's covered with the blood of Christ. Confess your sins, and he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So again, I'm confident in this. And I'm confident for all of us. That yeah, we'll make mistakes. We're going to trip. We're going to fall. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to do. We're going to sin. We're going to do all of those things. And yeah, if you said, hey, Shane, we're doing a really good job. You know, we're going to make it. Oh, I know you're going to make it. But it's not because you're doing a really good job. I know you're going to make it because he who began a good work in us will be faithful to bring it to completion. Let's pray. Thank you for listening and may the Lord bless you and keep you. For more information about Central Baptist Church, go to www.cbcaurora.com.